Hello, everyone, and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So, I was cruising around YouTube the other day and came across an interesting debate at a college campus. The debate was premised around a morality about morality. And interesting enough, it's something I have really studied about. In college campuses, apparently, they're teaching more and more about a thing called subjective morality. Now, I've talked about this quite a bit. I really have. If you listen to my earlier podcast, you know that I've talked to Cliff Connectly and Stuart Connectly in New Canaan, Connecticut, out there. I've talked about what subjective morality is and whatnot. So I was listening to this whole thing. And it's a very big issue, talking about morality. It really is. It's a massive issue. Because people, and especially nowadays, with so much junk going on in our world about um, you know, people having rights and um, injustices taking place in our society when they start when people start crying out for saying there is um, like it, um, like racism like the last episode I made they talk about racism they talk about income inequality they talk about inequality in general they talk about all these things and really what they're pointing out is a moral outrage over these issues now I can agree that a lot of these things are, can be very morally bad they're not good Racism, definitely not good. Uh, sexism, very bad. Um, inequalities towards workplaces, I agree. I think it's a horrible atrocity. And that that it should be stopped completely and utterly. I, I can't agree more. But then I started breaking it down a little bit more. I said, okay, we gotta sit here and start screaming about moral outrage and, and whatnot. Because we're screaming about how our, our morality is. Or let's just break it down to what it actually is. Let's break down this whole issue down. I said, let's get down to the fundamentals. I'm looking at going, if you, I I appreciate first and foremost, people who are so adamant about having a moral structure system that we need to have a system in place that says that right is right, wrong is wrong, and we don't deviate. But on the other hand, I also know that this can end up really sticky real quick. Especially if you're doing an intellectual argument. What do I mean? Well, as I pointed out with Cliff Connectly and Stuart Connectly in one of the episodes I did here in Next Generation Scenes, the episode was titled, If God Does Not Exist, Then Everything Is Permissible. <clears throat> so, I'm going to hit back on this whole topic with you. I believe it's very important to cover this. If God does not exist, everything is permissible. We talk a lot about this argument. Now, I've had a lot of atheists and very very liberal friends who are not very strong believers in God would love to stand up and say, we do, you know, there is moral outrage. There is, you know, we, we do believe in right and wrong because society says so. And I remember talking to one of my old friend Stephen back at Fullerton College, and we were having this dialogue. And when he really broke it down, he said, and again, these arguments are pretty weak in my opinion. He states again, morality is premised around society, right? We vote for what's right and what's wrong. And to a large extent, I agree with that. We agree, I agree that when we have ballots come out, right? When you go to the ballot box in America, um, because I live in Phoenix, Arizona, 
When you go to the ballot box, you cast a ballot, um, a vote for a politician that you believe could be good or bad. We just had a presidential election, period of time, and people went in and cast their votes. They either went for one candidate or the other candidate, right? It was either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And people would say things like, not morally good, good, or not more, or are morally good, or not morally good, or whatever it is. But more to the point, I said, let's take a little history lesson. Let's walk down memory lane of history. If we look at not too distant history, to be quite honest with you, let's say the 1970s, around the 60s to 70s, if you look over down south in the southern states, you had a thing called segregation. Segregation was the belief that black people were inferior to white people. Just to lump sum it into one real easy, quick conclusion. Or just people who were not white were not welcome. Right? So, what happened? Society down in the South, with the Jim Crow laws and segregation in place, they had certain people who went against the status quo. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, I know you've all heard of him. I know we all know... I have a dream speech and how he did amazing work. He has a memorial in D.C. For, with him on it, as a, uh, um, along with Rosa Parks. A great memorial to them, to the, to the men, men and women who did this, those two individuals, about what they did. But if society determines right and wrong, then why did Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks say this was wrong? Why? If morality is determined by our society and they vote that segregation or slavery is perfectly acceptable, the Jim Crow laws and the Ku Klux Klan ran around and lynched people, why, and that, you know, certain political parties like Democrats are behind those people, why were the Democrats wrong for creating the Ku Klux Klan or creating the Jim Crow laws or about segregation in general? Why was that okay? No, nowadays we look at it and we go, well, that was obviously completely evil. You know, we would look at it and go, how morally outraged we are. We look about, oh my gosh, how could anyone support that? We look a little bit further back, <clears throat> and the neo-Nazis, the Nazis, murdered millions of Jews. The leftist fascist Mussolini murdered millions in the name of fascism. The communists left. Joseph Stalin killed Vladimir Lenin to gain absolute power and then killed anyone who didn't agree. Or I should say murder, because there's a difference between killing and murder. Kim Jong-un came into power and murdered his own family to stay in power. Pope Hao over in China starved half the population so the other half could eat their fair share or eat their fill. I look at this and go, good lord, people. We, we want to act like if morality is simply based upon what the masses say, then the, the 20th century alone, when we look at it from our perspective, is perfectly fine. We may have strong disagreements about what they did, but they were, according to the rule of societal and, and democracy or democratic voting, that was, that was the rule of law. <laughs> you had one party or one group of people who ultimately determined the morality for everyone else. And if it's subjective, they were perfectly right for doing what they did. That's if 
morality, a sub- subjective worldview that is simply based upon, you know, whoever's in power at the moment, who's ever voting it in, whoever has the most guns up their sleeve, right? However, if we look at this from a different perspective, where do we get our morality? <coughs> our morality does not come from government. It doesn't come from the masses. If you're a Christian and you're listening to this, or you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, our morality comes from God. Elohim. From Yahweh. Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? Does that mean it's arbitrary that whatever God says is suddenly moral? No, it's it's not that. It's not that God wakes up one day and goes, I decided that this is moral, and he says it. Our morality is premised on God's character, his attributes, right? <clears throat> Just like a great leader. A great leader will lead by example. By his characteristics, we can determine whether a good general or whatnot. The way we know that what is good and what is evil is based upon God's character. The most terrifying thing to mean to me is when someone wants to argue the subjectivity of morality. And I go, if that's the case, then Adolf Hitler murdering millions of Jews wasn't exactly wrong. It was just Adolf Hitler's opinion. Adolf Hitler figured and a Nazi party figured and a lot of Germany figured, well, you know, Jews aren't worth very much. Catholics aren't very much. And... We just kill off the mentally and the physically uh, disabled. They're just a drag in our society. We don't have enough resources. We have to make the Aryan race as great as we can. And these people are just a drag. You know, we just, we have to, you know, we have to survive somehow on this finite little planet of ours. I know a lot of people are going to be like, that is horrible. How could you say that? But that is subjective morality. That is based on, oh, I even say evolutionary. Evolutionary survival. I love, I, I remember hearing, oh, when I talked to Stephen about this and several of them were my friends back and forth in college, and they even used that argument of evolution. We evolved, right? The biggest argument in society was we evolved as a society. And I had an honest to God moment of looking at them going, I have no clue what your premise is. Now you're going to go for either A, that we evolved more morally, or B, we just evolved technologically. Now, I can point out that B <coughs> is absolutely true, 100%. Did we evolve, did our technology evolve for better medications? Absolutely. Did we evolve technologically, like with iPhones and iPads and smart cars? Yeah, absolutely. Is our technology continuously evolving? Yeah, absolutely. However, is the human heart evolving? No. Here's the reason. When you read your Bible, the Bible goes about, I think, about almost 100,000 years, give or take, right? And I know there's a lot of data behind that, but so I'm not 100% certain, but it goes about 100,000 years or so more back, right? So when I read the Bible, I come across characters, ancient characters, people who lived in the ancient world, and I can relate to them. Know why? Because they went through the same stuff we have as humans. We, they went through strife. They went through wars. They went through happiness and sadness, through love and compassion. They went through every single thing we went through. The only difference is 
They we had different technology than they did. They rode chariots, we drove cars. They had spears, we have guns. You know, it's it's as simple as that. The technology changed, but the it's no different than what we went through. So when I look at someone and then they say, well, we've evolved as a, as a species, I'd say, well, it's really subjective at that point. Do you mean A or B? So I look and I say, okay, if we're going to look at morality, we can't look at our societal issues because our society has made some great things happen and really horrific things happen. Again, the 20th century, the most bloody century in human history, and it was because our different societies determined the value of a human being. Nowadays, and I'm just going to touch on this, abortion. We as society have determined in our in our government that human life can be extinguished in the womb. We have dehumanized babies in the womb. Every single person listening to this podcast, you who are listening to this, or anyone else who's listening to this, you were once what we call a fetus, Latin for little child, in your mama's womb. You weren't born in a te- created in a test tube. You were created by a man and woman getting together, having intercourse. Egg was fertilized, attached to the uterus wall, and that's what happened. You came out nine months later. That's what happened. Nowadays, our society does the same thing that that the Nazi society, or that the fascist Mussolini society, or the communist society of the Soviet Union, or the Pope Pound did, or any of these left-wing, I guess, politics, or I'd like to say atheist ideologies. I think I'll just stick with the atheism, leave the politics out. These atheist ideologies that we get to determine life and death. Who gets to live, who gets to die, subjectiveness. I think it's honestly when I see this, I go, how have we evolved as a society? We pick and choose, almost arbitrarily, what we want to have value and not to have value. We do that quite often. We determine who's worth getting punched in the face and who's worth having a helping hand. Again, we get to decide a baby's fate in the womb. And then when we decide that the baby doesn't need to exist, we find some rational way of saying, well, it was never a baby to begin with. We remove its humanity, which is exactly what the Nazis did to the Jews. They're not human beings. They're dogs. They're less than animals. We can exterminate them. If this is uncomfortable, I hope it is. Because the truth that must be spoken out loud. If society determines it, it's terrifying. Now, the only way that there can be an objective, moral, principle-based system is if there is some mind prior to the human mind that determines right and wrong. This is a Christian point of view. This is a biblical point of view. In fact, it originates from the Jews all the way to the Judeo-Christian principles. The Ten Commandments is the defining factor in objective morality. Now, before we dive into objectiveness, I know that some people are going to try to twist what I'm saying and say, well, objectiveness doesn't mean what he's saying. Here's what I mean by objectives. I'm not going to use a moral um, point of view here. I'm just going to use a... I actually come... My uh, <coughs> my own mother is a mathematician. 
She's fantastic at doing math. I mean, you can't have that one not put down a book that has math in it. She loves to play with dice. She wrote several books on math. If you ever have a chance to look on Amazon for math books, you'll probably run into her stuff. It's pretty awesome. Personally for me, math gives me a bit of a headache, but I digress. If I were to open up a math book with you, and we went back to the very the second, like uh, first grade, and the math book read, two plus two equals four. What are they saying? They're saying that two plus two does not equal three, and it does not equal five, it equals four. But what if I don't agree with it? It doesn't matter if you don't agree with it. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It doesn't matter if you believe in the fluffy bunny in the closet. It don't matter. This is called objective facts. They do not change because of how you feel that day. They don't change based upon how you grew up. They are not changed based on your political ideologies or your spiritual ideologies or whatever kind of ideologies or whatever you want to follow. They are called objective truths. Everything else is just your subjective opinion. So you have a thing called two plus two equals four. That's about as clean as, that's about as easy as it gets. So switching back to the morality part. When we talk about morality, such as rape, murder, loving someone, caring for somebody, if it's subjective opinion and it's based on society, then if you sat in the court of law, you could look at someone who raped a woman and go, well, according to the rapist, he did just fine. He was having a great time. He, uh, he was getting his, uh, you know, he was orgasming and causing those muscles to go off and making his nerve endings feel lots of pleasure. And he was really enjoying himself. Endorphins were flowing through his brain. He felt great. The woman is petrified and has PTSD and disagrees and is terrified of having another relationship with the man. But neither is wrong for what happened. And I know when you hear this, you're going to be like so morally outraged to hear it. But from an intellectual point of view, you got to step away from your emotions and look at it intellectually. The rapist and the raper and the rapist and the victim are not wrong. They're not right. It just is. The woman's terrified. Thought it was a horrible thing. The rapist thought it was a great thing. Got the endorphins supply into his brain. Oh yeah, sweet, awesome. They're both correct. It just is. That's why a Judeo-Christian principle is so direly important in this situation. Because now it doesn't depend on whether the rapist thought he was doing good or the, or the victim thought it was really bad. Now there's a direct line to a mind prior to the human mind. God's character that has now determined that that rapist, what he did by defiling a woman or a man who was created in the image of, the, of God and has intrinsic value and innate worth, which means you have value that goes beyond what is here on earth. Regardless of how anyone else feels about you, you have value because God has created you. Your value is like two plus two equals four. It don't matter how somebody feels about that, that the answer is four, or how they their opinion. The answer is four. You have value because God created you in his image and likeness. You have intrinsic value with innate worth. So now when you go to the same courtroom and you say, hey, your honor, <coughs> the rapist raped this woman and she's terrified. Now we can look and go, hey, since you degraded this woman, since she's born in the image of God and has intrinsic value, innate worth, and you attack that, you are absolutely evil for what you did or absolutely wrong. You should not have done that. 
That's the only way this valued system works. In fact, the same argument was used in the Nuremberg trials back in World War II. The Nazis were standing, and then it was the UN that got over there, Nuremberg, Germany, and said, what you Nazis did of gassing millions of Jews was horrifically evil. And then the, um, then the attorney support, supporting the defendant, the defendant being the Nazis, stood up and said, how can you guys come over here and attack us? We're just following orders. How dare you come to our country, to our way of life, and tell us we're wrong for gassing Jews? Again, we were just following orders. Who are you to judge? And it shut down the trials. It wasn't until the American attorney stood up and said, No, there is a law above the law of man that determines right and wrong and determines what you did was evil. Martin Luther King Jr. did the exact same thing to segregationists. He wrote from a prison cell in Birmingham, Alabama to, the, to those preachers who were claiming to be Christians, claiming, big, big word here, that's the defining word, that what they were doing supporting segregation was absolutely evil because it denigrated the, the people who had intrinsic value and innate worth who were part of the black community. But if there is no God, then it doesn't matter. Life's a crapshoot. You messed up, kid. You got the wrong deck of cards. Tough luck. So that's when I listen to these universities and they're trying to debate back and forth about what value is. I can create my own value. I create this and I have this and I'm going great. But you, you're supposed to be towering intellects with these masters and doctoral degrees. Yet you guys are morons when it comes down to understanding the fundamentals of morality. It's like listening to Christopher Hitchens debate Dr. Frank Turk on stage of the late Christopher Hitchens when he was like, "What well, I determine my morality and I can look at this and he attacks the church about it. And I mean, I got other stuff about the church I'm not really happy about at all. I'm not saying that I'm a strong Christian who is, um, is like, oh my gosh, the church is without blame. I'll get on them as well. There's plenty of stuff to go ranting on about there, but I believe that's probably best for another episode. But when I look over at them and they and they're defending this, so like Richard Dawkins defending about how we as uh, we evolved and we should do this and that and we evolved to be better and that's that's what's detaining us. But with if there is no God, everything is permissible. Rape is permissible. Murder is permissible. Child molestation is permissible. Um, a husband or wife abusing a spouse is permissible. All of it's permissible. You may disagree with it strongly, but that is your subjective opinion. This is why we need God. That's why we need Jesus. I always look at these things and think to myself, whenever I see these incidences, I think to myself, how far we have walked away from Jesus? How far have we walked our own government away from Jesus Christ? How far have we walked away in our own households, away from Jesus Christ? <clears throat> How far have we walked away in our personal lives from Jesus Christ? You know, it's interesting when I brought this up and I said, why don't we all just do what Jesus Christ taught us? And I got so much flack for it. I had to break it down as simple as I possibly can. Jesus Christ taught us one thing. In particular, if you don't remember anything, it's this. First, recognize you're a sinner. Turn away from your sins and trust in Him. 
but then he also said, "You're to love your love thy God, God Himself, Elohim, um, Elohim, Yahweh, Emmanuel. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Could be your next door neighbor. Could be anyone you run across during the day. He then." One of my personal favorites is how how do we love somebody? How do we show that to our enemies? Well, love, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. If they're hungry, give them food. If they're thirsty, give them water. Need shelter, put a roof over their head. I keep thinking to myself, what if in our own lives, in our own households, in our own government, if we chose to follow Jesus Christ, how would our society look? And it makes me always question, but then I answer my own question. Why doesn't mankind want to come to Jesus? I've quoted this scripture to you guys multiple times, but I'm going to say it again because I memorized it. John 3.16, I believe it goes John 3.18, no, no, 3.18, all 16 through 18, I believe. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son, our only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He who is believed does not stand condemned, but he who is not believed stands condemned already, for they have not believed in the only name in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the final verdict. Light has come into the world. But mankind loved the darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Those who these are evil do not come to the light, for lest the light reveal who they truly are. But those who do good come to the light, so that when the light shows on, shines on them, their deeds can be exposed and show that they did it in the name of, the, of God. I paraphrase the last part a little bit. Mankind chooses continuously to define its own morality, choose the subjectiveness because we feel better about ourselves, to determine uh, good and evil, determine life and death, to determine who lives, who dies, determine all these things. And at the same time, we're screaming out moral- about moral systems and trying to do it, trying to be God. We're trying to be God. You know, we scream out when God the God acts like God, but then we are angry because we because we say it's justified when we act like God, but when God acts like God, we get all offended. So when I see these college campuses, when they're teaching about morality, teaching about how it's all subjectiveness and uh, who's right, who's wrong, I bring Jesus to the debate. I sit down and point out how wrong they are. I know as soon as I bring Jesus, the devil inside all of us will come out. The devil inside those who have not succumbed to Jesus Christ, but live in the world, will come out. It will attack with ferocity the dragon. Or bear. I think dragons are cool. That's why I said it. You probably encountered that yourself. And if you haven't, you will. If you preach the word of God. So something to think about. So that is what I'm talking about, about subjective morality versus objective morality. So 
Until we meet again, may God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved. Thank you.